Welcome to the Goddess Tarot Society podcast. It is so lovely to connect with you again. How are you today? Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. I'm doing really good and I'm looking forward to speaking with you. Fabulous. So for everyone listening in this series, we are exploring the themes of the major arcana. And Samuel's come along today to explore the emperor. So the emperor is all about authority. It's about establishment, structure, and also father figures. And myself and Samuel met in the lovely Lapland. So our our OG father figure there was Mr. Santa Claus. (laughs) (laughs) Leading the show back then. Um, So yes, it would be amazing to explore these different themes. And I thought we could just kick things off um, just kind of saying just a bit about yourself what you're doing I know you have just launched your own amazing podcast so if you want to start off by saying a little bit about you and what you're doing before we dive right into the emperor and the themes yeah sure so I've just started my own podcast it's called the fictional podcast I think actually a lot of your listeners would may well find it interesting for the same reasons because Mm. like the tarot cards uh, well, I'm discussing a different fiction novel in each episode. And really what the purpose of that is, is to analyze the characters and the plot to see what lessons we can derive from these stories. And so I'm looking at archetypes and traditional narratives in the same mm. way you are. And so I think there's a lot to be gained from both examples, because really the wisdom involved in these old stories and any stories is things that have been in the human in human society for thousands of years. And we've just kind of structured those into narratives that allow us to make sense of the world and that's really what I think what tarot cards are about I'll be honest I don't know too much about them but um and that's why I'm looking forward to this because I think it's going to be a good education for me so yeah the podcast is going really well so far and I just finished university I graduated with a degree in English literature and that was super fun I learned a hell of a lot and I also like to run marathons and (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's pretty much it so far And I'm also a writer, so yeah. Oh yes, you're a wonderful writer. Um, On the topic of fictional stories, what fictional story means the most to you? What is your personal fave? If you can pick just one, or the first one that comes to mind. I mean, it's always Harry Potter when people ask me that question. And it's funny because the older I get and the more books I read that, let's say, are more kind of established in the literary canon you know you read the classical books and people like you to say that they're your favorites or that they're the best Mm. but I don't think any book has had more of an impact on me than Harry Potter I've read it so many times and it it captured my imagination and it inspired me in such a way that no other book has managed to do so far I mean I look forward to the day when I read a book and it I prefer it to Harry Potter I you know that might happen but every time I read it because I read it every few years and every time I read it I think man it's just so well written. I really think it contained within those books is just kind of every type of human experience you can have and every mythological story, really. It's, yeah, J.K. Rowling did a good job with those. Oh, she really did. And on the top, I love magic and all things witchy anyway, so <laughs> I'm sure the yeah. listeners the listeners were well too. And interestingly enough, picking Harry Potter, if we are to combine that and take it into the theme of today, the Emperor... Then you're talking like Dumbledore. It's about to say Gandalf. That's a totally different story. <laughs> Dumbledore is the kind of main father figure, kind of emperor character there. So what are your thoughts on on Dumbledore? Yeah, I mean, that's a really great point. The I think one of the key things Dumbledore brings to the story is just his level of the level of support that he provides for Harry and the other characters, in that he kind of he devoted his life to acquiring this wisdom and you see it you see it kind of practically utilized not only in his own struggles and I guess that's one thing the Fantastic Beast films are trying to do is Mm. establish Dumbledore before the Harry Potter stories because in Harry Potter Dumbledore is old and he's not so much of an active participant as a kind of as you said a father figure that's that's passing on his wisdom so that Harry can utilize it whereas Dumbledore used it in his older days when he was younger for his own purposes. And I mean, Dumbledore contrasts really well with Voldemort, with he who must not be named. Uh, 
because um because i i suppose just on today's topic they're kind of the two sides of masculinity like there's the positive masculinity and the negative masculinity and voldemort has taken it to the wrong extreme mm. and and that's where he kind of where he he's just devolves into tyranny whereas dumbledore uses it as a he's he's the wise authoritative father figure that provides he provides a good structure i mean he's the headmaster of a school right so that's you know you have to have a headmaster in order to keep things running whereas voldemort is just so callous and chaotic but that's like the negative side of masculinity if you allow it to yeah i'm gonna leave it at that because it's it's a it's a hard thing to kind of Oh no, for sure. I love that contrast though, like taking something like Harry Potter and here we are like (laughs) dissecting it. It's like a cross between your podcast and bringing it into the goddess out of society. That's it. We can just pack our bags and leave now. (laughs) We've hit the nail nail on the head. Um, So in terms of that fictional sense, we have Dumbledore um, as the kind of emperor father figure. Have you had any influential father figures in your life or somebody that's made you, you know, appreciate the Dumbledore positive side of the spectrum and not take you down into the, the depth of Voldemort or he should, yeah, should I mean, not be named. <laughs> when I, when I first, first thought about this, my first, uh, the first guy that came up was my dad. He, because he, I think, and I, I suppose that's what every father, the role they should have is that they've acquired the wisdom throughout their lives. And so that's them, passing on the knowledge they've acquired in order to kind of prevent you or at least dissuade you from making the same mistakes. And so my dad taught me the value of good work ethic and mm-hmm. of sort of pushing past discomfort. Like I, I can certainly remember times where like I did Taekwondo when I was a kid and I, I competed and it would be like five o'clock in the morning and we'd have to get up early to drive to this competition. And I thought, oh, dad, I don't want to get up. I was like nine years old no nine-year-old wants to get up at 5 a.m and but he kind of essentially dragged me out of bed and and um drove me to the competition and I did really well so it was one of those examples where he didn't allow me to he didn't allow me to uh accept less for myself and he pushed me to be the best version of myself and I think that's what that father figure really should do is push you out of your comfort zone yeah Mm. No, your dad's done a fantastic job because especially with that work ethic you're talking about, if I was to think of anyone I've met in this wonderful journey we call life so far, your work ethic is amazing. And uh, in, like, I mean, we've not spent that much time in real life with one another. Lapland season's just a couple of months, but from, like, different conversations and experiencing you since we met 2017, was it? We did Lapland that year, I think maybe <laughs> yeah end, end of 2017 end of 2017 yeah. you have the most wonderful work ethic um i remember like a couple of years well that was a couple of years ago but even with your fire spinning are you still doing your fire spinning what what's the proper term for that yeah you can i guess fire staff spinning i'm not sure yeah. but um yeah i now and again because I live in Iceland, there are about six months of the year where it doesn't look that cool because the sun doesn't actually set. <laughs> and then there's another six months of the year where the sun barely rises. So I kind of just do it in the winter time here when it looks cool. Mm. Yeah, so I still partake in that now and yeah. again. But the, the, the I... journey to get to that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the reason I mentioned that was um, that you were showing up and doing that like every single day. So you take that work ethic um, not even from the traditional like career sense, um, but then take it into what you're passionate about and you do something with like gusto and put like you're all into it, which I find really admirable. And uh, what I'd be quite interested in hearing about is you're creative, you're a writer, but yet you have this very linear approach to life and showing up and having this work ethic. So what is your creative like um, process when you have such a like linear showing up every single day kind of approach to your work ethic? Yeah, thank you. That's a really good question because I I suppose if you the instinct would be to say that those two ideals are kind of contrasting. Like it's hard to be creative when you need to when you insist on putting limitations and a structure on your let's say on your day on your routine. But what I realized is that 
And this is something I took a lot of inspiration from Jordan Peterson about for the listeners. I haven't heard of him. Check him out. Is, is you have to, if you want to do something creative, you have to have a limitation because let's say you, you have a canvas in front of you. Well, first of all, and you're going to paint a picture. The canvas is your first limitation because it's, it's a, it's a space. It's a limited space. So you can't just paint all over the walls and you could do that. But the idea is that you've got this box with which to create in and then, okay, what colors of paint am I going to use? That's another limitation. So it through kind of narrowing the the perspective of what you're going to create, it allows you to, it allows you to focus, to focus better on what it is you want to do. So for me, it was, I mean, when, when I write, I don't, there are kind of two types of writers. Everyone says there are those that plan everything in advance and there are those that just start writing and I'm the latter. But what I do do in terms of structure is I say to myself, okay, I'm going to write X amount of words this day, or I'm going to write from this time to this time. Because what I realized is that it's great to have like that spark of inspiration, but that doesn't last very long. So you have to have consistency. And sometimes you do have to push through that level of discomfort that if you don't feel like writing today, well, if you only did things on the day, you, uh, if you only did things when you felt like them, you probably hardly ever do them. But sometimes you, you have to push through that kind of level of discomfort and it allows you to get to that place of, ah, uh, you know, I didn't want to write today, but then I got a great thousand words in. And so it's just because when we come up against something difficult and cr- creating things is difficult because you've got nothing to base it on. You just have to make it up. That's, mm. I guess that's what creativity is. And so when you, when you have that structure of, okay, whatever happens, no matter what happens, I'm going to write a thousand words today. I'll, I'll make it happen. I'll fit it in. Is it gives you that kind of, it gives you that incentive to, yeah, it's the, the limitation on, on the creativity because you have to have that. How do I say it? It's hard to say. It. But yeah, I'm going to leave it at that. Yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely fantastic. And it's nice tying that in because the emperor is a real fiery card. It's associated with the sign of Aries. And creativity does come from that spark. And to me personally, it's all about how do you build that bonfire up? So taking that spark, that inspiration that you're speaking about, and then adding, maybe it starts adding twigs, and then you can add on logs, and then you can add on larger logs. But if you were just to put one big old log on that bonfire, when it was just that little spark, that inspiration, that big log could be, you know, spending too much time on it at once that you put yourself off and then you put out that fire that creative fire so yeah no it's a really cool analogy I like with the with the canvas and adding on adding on to that in terms of creativity and the process because I am very much the same with my I've just taken a keen liking to writing myself as much I love expressing myself by having deep conversations and I love journaling so now I'm just you know (laughs) taking up blogging (laughs) to a new degree and which is really wonderful and how I get it down on paper is just channeling it and allowing it to flow and what I'm working on which is why I'm also really glad we're connecting just now is showing up for myself consistently because I am on the opposite side of the scale and I try really vibe with cycles and how I'm feeling at different times but I do need to put a fire under my arse sometimes to get myself going to get out of bed and just do the things even when I don't feel like it which is that um, pushing past discomfort is huge is huge is there any tips you have for people how to push past that discomfort and build up that kind of muscle mental muscle of showing up for yourself every day yeah well I would say first of all it's important to kind of scale it so so I'm just going to use a personal example I ran a marathon in April my first marathon and it went super well thank you it was it was one of the best things I've done uh, Mm. so far and the key is, you know, let's say you plan to run a marathon in six months time. If you don't train, you, you won't do it. But then at the same time, you can't start, let's say the marathon's in June. You can't start in January and just say, okay, I'm going to run a half marathon today. You have to build it up gradually. And so with something like any form of exercise or any form of creativity, you, you have to be, I, I don't like to use the word realistic because it's kind of limiting, but in the sense of, okay, if I want to run a marathon in six months, well, at first I have to get a 10K in. And if I haven't ever run before, well, first I have to run 1K. And so build up this kind of, build up this plan whereby you're gradually increasing 
the amount of effort or time or energy that you're putting into this. Let's say you have that final goal at the top of the pyramid. Maybe it's the marathon. And so you have to build it up gradually. And at the same time, there's definitely a, a space for for what you said about you have to kind of be aware of your body and, and you can't, there are some things that you shouldn't ignore. Like mm-hmm. if we're talking about something physical and injuries, but a lot of the time when I wake up and I think, oh, I don't feel like running, my mind will create excuses in order to prevent. So, oh, my knee kind of hurts or oh, I've got a bit of a headache or this, this, this. But really what it is, is you know it's going to suck. And so you're you're trying to get out of it because the body is just an animal that likes to be warm and comfortable. Mm. But the mind is, a we're, humans are unique in the sense that we have the ability to overpower that and say, well, no, just because my body's a bit sore, it doesn't mean I shouldn't do it because- I can tell you on every single time where I've not felt like working out or running and I've just done it anyway, I've never, ever regretted it. But if I haven't done it because I've listened to that kind of weak part of my mind, then I've always regretted it. And so you should definitely listen to your body in terms of if you're sick or if you're injured, take a break. But it's about developing a habit of, okay, if I if I say, if I write down that I'm going to run every Tuesday and every Friday, then it's going to happen. There's like, there just could be no exceptions. It has to happen. And eventually you form a habit of now when I wake up, I don't even really think, um, you know, I might not run today. I just do it. And so you've got to develop that habit where it just, there are no exceptions except yeah. if you're sick. Or injured. No, for sure. I think they say it takes roughly about 90 days to make a habit. If you're showing up every day, then eventually, yeah, you get into that flow where you don't question it I've been doing that with my meditation practice and um, well deepening my meditation practice and sure there's some days see funny because with meditation see on the days where you don't know if it's the same with running see in the days that you don't feel like showing up to meditate those are the days you need it more than like all the other days and I know when sure. I run on occasion and um, because I need to do cardio to like shift stagnant energy to kind of move into new energy and I can go through a period of time where I'm like I don't run I don't run I don't run and then I really feel like I don't want to but that sweet release when I do it it's just like oh yes then you have all the endorphins and stuff but it's keeping that up and showing up for yourself and like you said that's just so important in that process yeah oh that's gave me something to ponder over so it has (laughs) Yeah, well, as you said, I like your point about the days when you don't feel like it are the most important days because because that's when, like, you've got to think about, okay, what's the reason I'm avoiding doing this? So for something like meditation, you're avoiding doing it maybe because your your mind feels pretty full. There's loads of thoughts jumping around in your head and you just think, oh, I really don't think I could, I could even concentrate on a meditation right now. Well, then that's what meditation's for is to, you know, clear your mind of all that BS. And <laughs> for me running, because I used to meditate a lot and then I started running um, a few times a week and that's kind of taken the place of it, of where it is an exercise, but I also see it as it's catharsis because my mind just wanders. And I realized that it's important to have those times where your mind is is free. And so maybe that's another reason, not only because I know the run's going to be difficult, but because I know I'm going to be just by myself in my head. And that's not always a fun place to be. So we, we make excuses to, to not do things we want to, that we know are going to be good for us because that's the interesting thing is we have no problem. Let's say there's a donut in the kitchen. We can, you know, we have no problem kind of just finding an excuse to do that. Whereas when it comes to finding a reason, a good reason to not do it. So really, I think we only make excuses to not do things that are good for us. So I think even that's an that? indication. Why, why, in your opinion, do you think our silly minds do that? Why do we make things so much harder for ourselves when they are going to be good? Do we need that element because, of suffering as human beings? <laughs> yeah, well, I think what it is is because, as I said, a part of our brain is still very primitive and animalistic. And so if you if you look at any kind of any animal, let's say mammal, they, they're going to crave kind of comfort and warmth as much as possible they're not going to exert themselves unless it's absolutely necessary whether it's hunting or running from predators or whatever and so we still have that instinct on our head of i'm not going to use energy unless i really need to um but the difference with humans is we realize and i think we're the only animals that are aware of the future so we realize that okay if i don't eat this donut now it means 
like I'm going to feel better tomorrow. Like I don't really eat fast food or much sugar anymore. And when I do indulge, you know, for like the next 24 hours, I don't feel that good. Mm -hmm. And so what it is, is that I realize that, okay, I I don't just think about Samuel now. I have to think about future Samuel as well, because he's just as important, if not more so than me. And so I think we just have that instinct to kind of avoid discomfort, but everything that's really meaningful in life, I think is on the other side of the comfort zone. Oh yeah. All the, all the treasures at the other side for sure. And it's, it's funny that it's came full circle round to that pushing past discomfort. And I remember during my yoga teacher training, it's all about pushing past that discomfort, but not pushing past pain. And I think it works the same way. So if you had back to your running analogy, the marathon, you can't be going out running if you truly have a knee injury, that's going to make it worse. But if your knees just got a little niggle that day and that's your excuse that day and you know it intuitively that your knee will be fine, pushing past that discomfort and the mental barriers. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. So taking us back in full circle again, back to the Emperor, we'll just, this is the first card in the Major Arcana that does focus on the Divine Masculine. And Samuel and I were chatting before the podcast that I do have this resistance towards the Divine Masculine because there's lots of wounds that's came out for me. And he actually was a wonderful, one of our conversations we had, a debate about feminism made me kind of look at things a different way and actually realize that I wanted to do more learning and unlearning without sharing with the world initially. This was a couple of years ago, I believe. Um, So I was really grateful for that lesson, but I thought it'd be nice to chat about what the divine masculine means to you as a person, Um, especially with these lovely teachings that your your father's taught you about work ethic. Um, Yeah, what does the divine masculine mean to Samuel? Yeah. So what I realized thinking about this is, so my dad was the, because I was a kid, my dad was the first example of the positive manifestation of of this idea of masculinity. And I realized that the older I got, and let's say the more self-aware I got, and the more I devoted myself to self-improvement, the more I gravitated towards these guys that represented the positive side of masculinity. So guys, like I'm going to throw some names out there, like David Goggins, he's a ultra marathon runner, Jordan Peterson, uh, Eric Thomas, guys like that, who they embody these characteristics that I guess I would classify as stoicism in the face of adversity. So overcoming those those obstacles and pushing through that discomfort, and also a, a drive to a drive to succeed beyond average. Mm. Like I, I kind of realized that you know because comfort is so alluring and so dangerous that if you look at kind of I'm speaking for myself, the people that I admire most are the ones that have pushed themselves so far. And they've done that because they've embodied these ideas of the, yeah, the, the, the masculine traits of yeah, stoicism, I think is a big mm-hmm. one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's very much an ap- attribute that's connected to, to the emperor card and um, because the emperor card, I'm showing Samuel just now for those like, and um, the emperor sits on this, like, stone chair and this stone chair represents you know the the stoic kind of nature and that let me get my words out not necessarily super connected into the emotions in the same way that maybe the king of cups is or the you know the queen of cups the divine feminine feminine counterpart but it's not that emotions should be completely ignored or pushed down because in the back there is like a little slither you can barely see it in this card it's the modern witch tarot deck card there is a little bit of river there and how do you keep that healthy balance then in terms of masculinity one of the toxic sides of masculinity is completely ignoring emotions and kind of pushing them down is there any healthy ways to express that while still showing up as this kind of emperor figure yeah, great question. I think just um, allowing yourself to be, I would suppose I would say there's a difference between weakness and vulnerability. Mm. So it's, I would say definitely always allow yourself to be vulnerable. Like if you feel like you need to cry or express yourself, um, then that's absolutely crucial. And But at the same time, not, not allowing that kind of weak part of yourself to, to become 
to become too prominent. So I suppose to give an example, there are... So let's say when something becomes difficult and we are, we, because it's difficult, we have a tendency to think to ourselves, oh, if it's hard, then maybe I should just give myself a bit of a break and just not do it. Or like, you know, if I don't feel like doing something, maybe I should just not do it. And I think that's, as I said before, that's, that's not in our best interest. So I think we need to realize that it's important not to confuse weakness with vulnerability. So if you're doing something that makes you feel weak such as skipping a training session or skipping a meditation you never feel good about that afterwards and that's i think let's say the negative negative side of femininity in that we're allowing our our emotions to control us too much like just because we don't feel like doing something or we do feel like doing something we shouldn't always listen to that idea That's good. That's a good comparison about that weakness and and vulnerability and the two together. Because I do believe there's some times where when we are being vulnerable and expressing ourselves, it is helpful to ensure that you have the right environment to do so. So you have the right people around you or you're opening up to the right people. So it doesn't push you back into, into your shell for sure. Um, Because I love being vulnerable. I love talking about my feelings and diving into all that juicy stuff. But if I was to do that or show that side of myself to certain people that maybe just don't have the same viewpoints as me or may shame me for certain things, that kind of, especially maybe past Hannah, like five, ten years ago, that would have really got into my psyche a little bit and believed those people over myself. So, Long story short, it's just when we're experiencing vulnerability to be doing that with people we, you know, we trust and it's going to hold that space for us as well. So we don't go back into our little, a little hermit cave away from wanting to be vulnerable because there's so much beauty in being vulnerable and being our true authentic selves and just kind of stepping into that power because many people are just living you know, living day to day and jobs that don't inspire them and not showing up and being themselves just over fear of being judged. And like the emperor is this energy that will just like show up, be themselves, like no matter what kind of kind of vibes to me personally. Yeah, I believe that. That's a really good point, mate, about it's about knowing the right time and place to be vulnerable. And I think having those people you trust around you that and I have these as well that I would happily cry in front of. I'd happily tell them any story or any feeling that I have. Mm. People that you know aren't going to judge you. It doesn't matter, doesn't matter what you're expressing to them. And I think one problem with social media is that people have kind of taken that as a platform with which to express their feelings. And I think that's a really bad idea. Mm. First of all, because of, as you said, the toxic response that you likely will get from some people. Uh, the the lack of personalization because it's all online and also because it kind of creates the the illusion of connection and the illusion of of a real expression when it's absolutely not that so I, my advice to um to your listeners first of all maybe think carefully about your social media and if you do want to have it then don't don't ever rant or don't ever like express yourself deeply because for one thing you might not like the response you're going to get and second of all, you're going to be looking at the number of likes and comments you get as kind of a a justification for how good your expression was. And that's not the purpose of being vulnerable. The purpose of being vulnerable is to allow yourself to release these, these feelings. And the best way we release our feelings is by talking about them, but it has to be with the right people. So know the time and place to be vulnerable. Like if I'm in the middle of let's say a, a fitness class and it gets hard and I just start crying and whining about how hard it is. It's not the right place for it. That's, you that's know, a place. If you need to, to let it out, yeah. let it out. If more people, especially if more men could just start crying spontaneously, this world would start changing. I'm telling you, we will be healed yeah, by the tears possibly. of men. <laughs> possibly. I think that's a, uh, I mean, in my personal experience, I haven't met many men who would, who exemplify maybe what, would be described as toxic masculinity in my experience most men are happy to be vulnerable in the right environment they just know that like if you're in a public place or if you're with certain people who you know aren't going to respond positively then it's best to just hold it in until a you know a time where you, you you do have that space to express it so i don't think it's as common as maybe some people think it is i just think it's because 
they're sort of withholding it until it's appropriate you know yeah yeah that's interesting because in my in my lived experience with especially um some men I've had in my life they've really struggled to just be expressing emotions like in general and maybe like holding it in for like too long and not being able to let it go so I love that you've had such a wonderful you know environment to be able to express yourself and see others that can express themselves in that way yeah no, that's nice, nice and deep. It's so funny that you talk about one thing and it leads to another and another and another because we're like getting more into like the King of Cups territory, which is really lovely, which is almost like the opposite kind of in the sense of the divine feminine to the emperor. And I was wondering if you could go back in time, Samuel, what would you say to your young self? Would you change anything? And what would, advice would you give to yourself? You can pick what age you'd be as well. You'd go back. I mean, one thing I would certainly say to myself is listen to podcasts because <laughs> I only seriously started listening to them, let's say four years ago. And they've been such a huge game changer in that they've, it's because people who I admire, like Russell Brand and, and Jordan Peterson and Joe Rogan, they provide, they provide a space for intellectuals and experts and, 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 uh, very, accomplished people in their field providing with a space with which to kind of tell their story and that's that's allowed me to take take the kind of things that I want to apply to my own life and, and utilize them and so yeah young Samuel should listen to more podcasts and also I think it would have been good to develop this love for structure and routine earlier because what I found is that the more I structure my life to an extent, the more I structure my life, the kind of more meaningful it becomes. Because let's say today I have a list of goals written down and having, it, it's not necessarily about, I, I want to accomplish all of them, but what it's about is, okay, I've got a plan for my day. And one of my mentors, Eric Thomas, has a phrase that says, the gaps in your routine are the spaces for the devil to get in. <laughs> and he's all about productivity. And for me, so me, for me, what that means is that if you've got times where you are doing nothing and you have nothing planned, it means you're more likely to succumb to temptation. And what I've realized for myself is that it's better for me to just not have the temptation there rather than have it and try and resist it, like chocolate, for example. So I would say to young Samuel, like, get get your routine together, get your structure together, have a routine and stick to it and make sure your routine includes things that you want to improve on a daily basis, an hourly basis even. Oh, even on an hourly basis, as much as that. Yeah, yeah, because I think that because sometimes we need to remind ourselves hour to hour, what is it I want to accomplish in this day, in this week, and this year? Um, and it's only through constant, like consistent effort you can get to that that stage kind of thing. So it's great me saying, okay, I'm not going to eat a donut. I don't even eat donuts. I don't know why that's an example, but like, <laughs> like you love donuts secretly. I can't remember the last time. <laughs> Yeah, I think every every listener's thinking, oh, I really want a donut now. But, you know, it's okay thinking, okay, I'm not going to eat a donut for the next hour. Oh, and now I've had a good hour, so I'm going to treat myself. It's more, okay, I'll have myself a donut once a week or something. Yeah, because mm, mm. yeah, I used to slide it. I used to smoke, and when I was a smoker, that would be like sometimes you reward yourself for not having something for a certain amount of time with the thing. Like, what kind of logic is that? Like, I'm going to go, I know it works for some things, cigarettes not so much, but for going like, okay, I've gone a whole week or a whole day without a cigarette. Do you know what I'm going to reward myself with? <laughs> a cigarette. It's just, it's, it's crazy how the mind can still bring you back to the thing. And in my personal experience, sometimes focusing on something rather than focusing on not doing something or focusing on like like oh no what will happen if I don't stick to my routine really homing in on the thing you want to do so rather than like the donut rather than focusing on not having your donut focusing on what you'd rather do instead to try and bring personally I believe we kind of create our own realities and we connect to like energies of things in these different ways and I think um, your intentions can be so important as to how you're focusing on 
the item. Depend it's tailored to each individual example, but where you want to go, focus on that rather than your distraction and trying to avoid your distraction. Yeah, that's a, that's a cool way to think about it. I would I would go further and say even do both. So oh, really? I'm going to give an example. Jordan Peterson, I bring him up a lot because he's I my need guy. to research so, this, dude. <laughs> he's he's um he's been a massive game changer for me. So anyway, he has this program called Future Authoring, and what it is, it's there's a lot of things like it. What it essentially is is you have to write down a list of your goals for the next five years and. In detail, you have to say how you're going to accomplish those goals, the potential obstacles you might encounter on the way. And then the summary of it is write down how you want your life to look like in five years time. Exactly like the best possible idea you can have of your life. Uh, And so when I wrote that and read it back, I was so inspired and so motivated and so happy thinking this is what my future is going to look like. And then it also asks, what's your worst possible future? If you indulged in all of your worst habits, if you did everything wrong, if you didn't chase your goals, if you allowed yourself to become weak, how would your how would your life look like? And it makes me upset to think about because when I read it back, I it was such a horrific such a horrific future that I'd envisioned. And I thought that's, you know, to to have something to run away from and something to run towards, I think mm. is more powerful than just having one of them. So to give the example of the donut. Okay, if I eat this donut, I'm going to maybe think, oh, I've had one donut, now I can have one every day. And then you're going to be super obese. And, you know, this is kind of in the extreme because that's the idea of it. You have to think about the worst possible scenario. If you indulge in this habit regularly, This it's not negative to eat one donut. But if you eat five donuts a day, it's going to lead to some bad things. And so you have to think, what's the worst possible outcome of me allowing myself to be weak in this area? And at the same time, you use what you said of, okay, if I don't eat this donut, this means oh, cool. So like, I'm going to feel better, you know, because I haven't got that massive sugar rush and stuff like that. And, and I'm going to feel better later on when I want to go and do a workout. And so it's good to have something to run away from and something to run towards as well. I love that because I might try do that after this, um, this podcast, because I love manifesting and visualizing because it works for me. So I always focus on, I don't usually go quite as far out as five years, but I might dive into it because so much can change in that time. Though I think it's a great a great um, process to go through, comparing it to that complete polar opposite. I'm always just a little bit fearful of bringing in that energy to myself and like magnetizing it to me. But um, I think, it'd, yeah, I'm going to try that out and I'll let you know how that goes doing the comparison of, of both of them, like the complete and utter extremes. Because, yeah, I, I love writing goals. Uh, all day long, I'm like, oh, what can I do next? Where can we go? Yeah, and it does, yeah. it does. It's so inspiring as well. when Because if you don't decide where you want to go or where you could go or what the possibility is, you can't hit the bullseye. You can't go towards there. You're just going to land somewhere random, maybe not too far from where you are now. And that's what this, what is the scariest thing for me would be to be in the same place now in like five years like no growth and with growth there's some discomfort to push through but it's so worth it like if I think about little little old Hannah five years ago we're different I was going out when you even when you met me Samuel I think it was my last blowout in terms of my drinking like more proud of that but it happened so I was like drinking all the time smoking all the time and that was what was holding me back you know some people can party hard and that's fine not me it was holding me back from being the best version of myself for showing up for myself rather than being dragged down with like these impulses or letting too much of that devil (laughs) devil energy into my life that was fun and served a purpose I'm so glad um you know I've let go of certain things and moved my life on from that point to get me to where I am today. Yeah. Yeah. So how is it you create your own reality, Samuel? Do you believe you create your own reality or do we have like a a fate or a set place that will end up? Uh, I absolutely don't believe that. I think there are three... um points to kind of where we're going to end up there's Mm. culture there's biology and then there's free will and there are some people that would say there's no such thing as free will because the previous two are so powerful but i think it's pretty clear when you observe the world that 
when you make certain choices, you can change the whole trajectory of your life. And I've seen people turn their lives around in spite of coming from those bad backgrounds or having bad genealogy or whatever it is. And I think a lot of the time we just use culture and biology as excuses because we know it's going to be difficult. With Without a doubt, there are some people that have a harder beginning than others. That doesn't mean it's impossible because you see people from the worst communities in in, in the world that still managed to achieve exactly what they wanted and more. And so I think through the through the creation of, first of all, you need to look at the people you admire and ask yourself, well, why is it I admire them? Is it because they're rich or successful? Is it because they are super fit or whatever it is? But okay, so now you've, you've realized the traits that you admire will make yourself into that person. Mm. And I, I absolutely believe that you are who you choose to be. And because of what I really liked about your first episode is you focused on not just learning, but unlearning things. And no disrespect to my parents, but they certainly taught me things, not even kind of consciously, but through the way that they lived, I picked up certain habits that don't serve me. So I had to radically rethink my diet. And do I want to eat what my parents ate or do I want to do it completely differently? How do I want my day to look? What kind of habits do I want in my life? And so the same as you, I'm completely sober. And that's one of the best decisions that I've ever made. Um, and I'm vegan and that's one of the best decisions I've ever made and it's these things that through let's say 18 years of conditioning through school I was being told okay it's okay to drink in moderation and it's okay to eat meat and all this and I'm not saying I'm not judging people for doing those things but it didn't work for me and so sorry what was the question yeah reality so <laughs> I, love <laughs> I, the tangent, just, I love the tangents they're better than the questions I believe <laughs> yeah so, so really I think you, you do choose your own reality, but first you have to be aware of it. So you have to realize the level of indoctrination that we all go through. And so I think really when I became, let's say, self-aware, it wasn't until I was, say, 19 or 20, I realized, man, look at all these things that I've been told throughout my life. And a lot of it was, it isn't like there's some grand scheme to turn us all into slaves. Like This isn't 1984. But what I think is that through consumerism and capitalism, which I don't think are bad things, what they do is... They ingrain certain habits into us that don't always serve us that well. And I am concerned for the next generation with social media about it seems to be having even more of an impact on we kind of our value is determined by this community of other people that like or subscribe to us or, or, or whatever, um, or that comment on our, on our posts. And I think it's very important to re-examine like everything you've been taught so far regardless of who it is re-examine everything carefully and decide what it is that's going to serve you and help you grow and what it is that's holding you back and that includes people as well oh yeah so. that's that's a big one even the people that you have on your instagram feed if you are going to be involved in social media and um, what i've done is made sure like i've tailored my social media to be people that do inspire me that lift me up and sometimes i'll accidentally go into there's another part of instagram i don't know all the names and then it'll be all like kylie jenner and these things still comes up and i'm like right i don't want to see this here like i don't care for this stuff and when i see that i'm like oh my goodness i feel for the people that that is their instagram feed that they're comparing themselves whether they realize it or not subconsciously to these like models or these people that have been editing like all their pictures or even comparing yourself to the edited version that you put up in the internet for example mm. it's like so important and um, even the tiny details such as your instagram feed but linking it over to what you're saying people i've had to cut so many people out of my life so that i can thrive and not be held back by their beliefs and some people that you have to kind of be mindful of spending time around they do love you some people it could be family members or friends but their reality is just a heck of a lot different and their limiting beliefs could hold you back so there's some people that you might have to love from a distance doesn't mean you need to cut everyone out my yeah the best case scenario from that is let's say you've got a family member or, or a close friend that you realize that they've become a toxic influence on you well by you cutting them out and being honest with them and saying okay i, I want to distance myself for this this and this the best case is that it's going to serve as a wake-up call for them of okay i'm noticing this pattern of people are wanting to spend less time with me and and cutting me out okay so what is it that i'm doing wrong now people everyone including myself like we have a problem with admitting we're wrong and reflecting on 
reflecting on what it is about us that may be toxic to other people. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I've been cut out by certain people before. And like, that's fine because if they consider to me, if they consider me toxic, I mean, I don't believe in ghosting people. I don't think that's very cool. Um, just not telling you, but let's say someone comes, approaches you and says, okay, I don't believe you're a good presence in my life anymore. Well, hopefully it's going to make us reflect on, okay, this is what I could change so that I'm a more positive influence in the future. It takes a lot of, um, courage and a lot of self-awareness in order to take that lesson on board but that's what we can hope for yeah for sure because i think if more of us were honest about you know why we might want to cut somebody out the world would be such a nicer place because there are so many times that people are ghosted or somebody just disappears and you just you just don't really understand the reason and it works both ways and because I'm a big believer of like karma good and bad karma if you start treating people like that like if you have the intention of you know stepping away from somebody or explaining like Samuel said that look you're not a great influence on me right now you'll start to find other people will meet you with that same respect might not happen overnight but I think you can then attract that in for yourself but that's just my my personal beliefs because it's similarly not in that exact example but when I start acting a certain way like acting as if the different traits I'm trying to you know really embody because they serve me then different opportunities are attracted because of that like aspect for example so yeah I think it's important to treat people as you want to be treated yourself and it does just magically or not so magically it takes effort and structure <laughs> yeah, yeah. To, and, to happen. and on top of that as well it's important to treat yourself as, as if you matter and as if you've got something to offer because I think all too often and there's there are a lot of people that they're very happy to give anything that anyone asks but you have to think about so the first person you need to take care of and the first person on your list of love should be yourself mm. because because if you're in a bad state Jordan Peterson, uh, again, um, he has a list of 12 rules for life uh, in his first book or in his second book. And what it is, is so one of the rules is uh, set your house in perfect order before you criticize the world. And what it means is that I don't think any of us are really qualified to to think we can enact massive social change or even help another person unless we've got ourselves figured out first. And so it's so, so important. And the, this whole phrase self-love has been thrown around so much and I think people have warped it into something that it, it doesn't really work. And so for me, the definition of self-love is self-discipline. And what it means is that you have behavior towards yourself that is good for you now and good for you in a week and a month and a year. So you can't just think about, okay, I love myself, therefore I'm going to eat as many donuts as I want because it makes me feel good. And that's the only metric, but that isn't the metric we need to rely on. The metric is okay, how is Samuel a week from now and a year from now going to feel if I eat five donuts every day? And so <laughs> it's like the theme of this podcast has become donuts. Don't but, eat um, donuts. Donuts are bad. <laughs> yeah. and, and, so, and so really, and it's, it's obviously there's, it's to an extent because you don't want to tyrannize yourself. You don't want to become like a slave to your own will. But what you do want is to think, okay, how is, how is this going to affect future me? And then through taking care of ourselves and making sure that we are the best manifestation of who we could be, it better serves us to help other people. Because first of all, it's by example. And it, we're talking about people that we admire and that have traits that we want to embody. Well, they're not, even, they're not reaching out to us personally and saying, I wake up at 6 a.m., therefore you should as well. We see what they're doing and we see how it works for them. And we want to embody more of what they are. And so we take on these ideas. And so just through example, if we live properly and in accordance with truth and, and real self-love, which means disciplined behavior that serves us in the long term, then we can inspire others to do the same. Yeah, I like that. And then you'll kind of attract in the right people as well. Like when you shine brightly, you don't even need to be guiding people or coaching people. They'll just pick up on that like energy with the vibe. Here am I going on about the energy and the vibes <laughs> once more. But yeah. no, that's that's a really lovely interpretation of what self-love is. It's actually that self-discipline when we can, you know, be watching too many of these memes on Instagram saying treat yourself, which isn't really um 
beneficial to you unless you were doing that you know once a week once a month if it's the big shopping spree or it's buying all the cakes and these things um because it's something that comes up time and time again and my tarot readings is focusing on your self-love first and foremost especially in other people a lot of people come to me for a tarot reading about love and it's like how's your relationship with yourself first and foremost do you love yourself enough because when you love yourself you won't accept in anything that's like less than and you're also going to teach people how to love you better by setting the clear mm. boundaries and having you know these structures in place that you probably will filter out the people that aren't so great for you this runs true with just in general connections with people as well as in love so yeah no i'm really glad you addressed it so people can hear it from somebody other than me it's not only me that <laughs> bangs on that old drum <laughs> cool yeah and it's i think it's it's more important now, just from, you know, we've grown up in the advent of social media and some people might not think it's a big deal, but I do really consider it to be potentially problematic and I don't want to get too hard on it, but I think it's become a net negative in terms of social media now seems to provide, it seems to do more harm than good. That's my interpretation. It definitely can be used as a powerful positive force because most people are very uplifting on social media and they do want to empower each other to to succeed and to and to express themselves honestly but at the same time um because it's because it's removed from personalized personalization it can become extremely toxic because there are things let's say not me let's say me for an example there are things that i would type on your page that i wouldn't say to you in person mm. and that's that's dangerous i can't remember what we're talking about self love <laughs> but yeah so so we have to think about we have to think about where where am I receiving where am I receiving my kind of justification for my own being, and it should come from just me. Another of Jordan Peterson's rules is compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to who someone else is today. Mm-hmm. And so, as long as you're making progress when compared to you a year ago, or five years ago, or last week, then you're on the right track. And because we're all we all come from different backgrounds, and we all are chasing different goals. It's, it's pointless to say, okay, Hannah has got this many subscribers and I've only got this many or I've only got this many and whatever. And so like that doesn't work because you're on a different journey than I am. So yeah, comparison is the thief of joy. So it is. We're all on nice. these, different, these different paths together. And I feel like making you up a t-shirt that says like, I love Jordan. <laughs> 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 I think he's been another influential um divine masculine figure in your life it's been lovely to see his wisdoms come through and i'm excited to dive into his things did he have a podcast is that what you think yeah the jordan peterson podcast yeah so Mm -hmm. and he wrote um his most famous book is called 12 rules for life and after he wrote it he embarked on a world tour where he gave like 150 live lectures and i've i've listened most of them are posted as podcast episodes so i've listened to um almost all of his public talks that he's given and and very smart guy his background he's a canadian psychologist and mm-hmm. so he started out as a um having a, a practice a, a psychotherapy practice i suppose is the word and then he taught a psychology at university and um and now he's a huge global figure and yeah i mean just speaking personally he he's introduced he's kind of articulated ideas that I knew but I didn't know how to express and I mean one particular series I'd recommend for everyone is he has a psychological interpretation of the biblical stories it's a 15 part lecture series and I'm an atheist and I always used to think like kind of classical religion and the bible was just nonsense but that's definitely changed my perspective in that there's so much to be gained and I suppose it was also a factor in starting my podcast because I realized all of the stories that we have told for thousands of years, they have lessons ingrained in them. And not sometimes they're not kind of, they're not explicit. So you have to unpack the stories in order to to define what they're trying to say to you. So yeah. yeah. Oh, nice. It's interesting because I'm not necessarily an atheist anymore. I do believe in like something bigger than ourselves, if you want to call that God, consciousness, universe, etc. But my best friend is super into like traditional religion and yeah I think there's so though I don't believe the stories as like the literal like I don't believe that necessarily Jesus came out of the 
the stone rock and walked in the water, blah, blah, blah. But I think the messages behind the stories are important. That was just one we learned in school. Easter every year, <laughs> Jesus walked out of that <laughs> cave again, resurrected. Um, but see, from listening to those podcasts, was there a particular learning from the biblical stories that stood out over the others? Oh, it's a good question. I'm just re-listening to them for the second time. Mm. Well, they and... must be good, re-listening them, wow. Yeah, and... I think maybe the main, and maybe one of you could argue Jordan Peterson's main lessons that he wants people to to take on is personal responsibility. So before you criticize the structure of the world or the structure of your society, think about what you could personally do to improve things. And so it's all well and good saying, oh, I think the government is messed up and I think capitalism is this and communism is this. Well, first of all, how have you contributed to making your society worse or better? So, and not even through things like you don't necessarily have to be involved in politics or give to charity. It just means, are you being the best person you can be? Like, and one thing I really like to talk about is, so if you, you have to think about the, the personal impact you have on everyone you speak to. So if you go into a supermarket and you treat the cashier in a dismissive way, you don't smile, you don't thank them then maybe they have a justification for being less nice to other people because you weren't nice to them. So you have to think about your, and this is a phrase that Jordan Peterson took from a Russian author. You are responsible for everything you do and everything everyone else does. And in one respect, that's true because everything you do is going to have a, it's like a ripple in a, in a lake. It's going to spread out. And so if you're nicer people, maybe they'll be a bit nicer to everyone else. And if you're nasty to people, maybe they'll be a bit nastier. So before we criticize these massive social structures, we have to think about what can I personally do in order to affect small change, which is going to spread out into ripples. And so it's things like telling the truth and it's things like being kind, but also just I guess demanding the best of yourself and demanding the best of everyone you love. I would say the definition of love for other people is insisting that they'd be the best version of themselves. And it doesn't mean that you can't, that you're not compassionate towards them, but you know, you're not going to, if they've got, they've got a broken leg, you're not going to go and make them go for a run. It doesn't mean that it or make, you know, not, not let them eat a donut just to take our <laughs> classical example. What it means is if you can see that they're not living up to their potential, demand that they do something about it. Because if you love them, why wouldn't you? Why would you want someone you love to be anything less than what they could be? And that includes yourself. Mm, that is so potent. Like that is just like such a big expression to like pretty much sum everything up. Like why, yeah, we want to be holding our loved ones up to these, like not holding them to high standards, but more we can see sometimes what somebody's capable of and my favorite activity is to inspire like my friends, my family and my loved ones to go after their dreams because sometimes we can see where they can go, but they're like, their fear gets in the way. So it's helping them like go forward with that. So that's really cool that you've mentioned that. I like that. It's my favorite part. It's so good. Thanks, <laughs> oh, fabulous. I've had so much fun doing this podcast with you Samuel is there anything you want to add before we sum up uh just that I really like what, you, what you're doing mate I mean I'm oh, someone you. that like to be completely honest I I used to think tarot cards and everything within that kind of realm was just nonsense and I didn't take it seriously but after I listened to your first episode and, and read the the emperor card description I thought man like there's something to this because it, they're basically stories right like these archetypes are okay, what's a kind of prominent figure that appears in every story that we love? It's that emperor figure or it's that, uh, I don't know the names of the other cards, but there are those archetypal figures that always appear. And the reason they appear is that they have a purpose and there are people that manifest those characteristics. And so if we learn about how those, let's say these cards are kind of the explicit, they're, they're like the ideal version of, you know, the emperor is the ideal version of how positive masculinity manifests. Well, how can we, how can we incorporate that into our lives? And so, yeah, I think there's definitely something to this and I'm, I'm looking forward to listening to, to more conversations for sure. Oh, fabulous. And I've been loving your podcast as well. Just to remind listeners, if you enjoyed this podcast with Samuel and I, he is on the fictional podcast. It's amazing. So far, you've discussed The Great Gatsby and Catch-22. Am I right? Are those the two? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
turbics i'm sure there's lots more exciting episodes coming up and like samuel said at the start it's similar in that sense like we're, you're talking about archetypes and how they just like how they relate to us and how we perceive these stories so it's yeah wonderful podcast that is really worth checking out like after you click ending this one i hope that that's going to be the next podcast you listen to get over and get subscribing to that podcast and yeah leave samuel some amazing five-star reviews because he deserves it (laughs) thanks mate so yeah thank you everyone for coming along we're describing the emperor today so we dived into all things work ethic and structure then we managed to like go in a beautiful journey through to self-love and um, how that in fact structure and um, discipline can be actually that can help you reach that level of self-love but until next time it's been such a pleasure again thank you samuel all the very best listeners see you next time